Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lisa H., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, December the 5th, 2017, and this is the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting. Today we're reading from the big book, and we are on page XXIX, the fourth paragraph, beginning with, I do not hold with those who believe, through two paragraphs, ending with, sacrifice rather than continue to fight. Today's readers are, for the 12 steps, Tenzin P., for the 12 traditions, Susan M., and the text readers are Marie J., Leslie W., and Monica T. The newcomer greeter is Russ M., and the host for the second hour is Gina R., the share IDs for both of yesterday uh, meeting, Monday, December the 4th, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting is 10,750. That's 10750. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time meeting, it's 10,751. That's 10751. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Tenzin P. to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. Tenzin P. Um, here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. 
We made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tenzin P. Um, I will now ask Susan M. to please read the 12 traditions. Susan, star one, we can't hear you. Am I being heard? Oh, you are now. Yes, thank you. Great, thank you. My name is Susan M. I live in Oklahoma, and I'm recovered, never cured, and these are the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Tradition one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as we express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Tradition five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive eater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related fellows facility or outside enterprise, lost problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Tradition seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And Tradition 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for your service, Lisa. Thank you, Susan M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. 
Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And please don't use the speaker uh, option on the phone. Today, we resume our study of the big book. We are on page XXIX, the fourth paragraph, beginning with, I do not hold with those who believe. Reading through two paragraphs, ending in sacrifice rather than continuing to fight, with comments on both paragraphs. And Marie J., will you please get us started? Yes, thanks. This is Marie J., recovered in Colorado. I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I've had many men who have had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem in the field which was to be settled on a certain date favorably to them. They took a drink a day or so prior to the date, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests so that the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. There are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving, which cause these men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. Um, this paragraph emphasizes that our, um, our disease is not an issue of, of just mental control. It's twofold. It's the mind cannot overcome the phenomenon of the physical craving. It's real and it can't be just a management of, of willpower. And we, we who are compulsive overeaters, who are real compulsive overeaters, have a true inability to stop eating the foods we're triggered by no matter how much we desire to stop. And once we ingest them, we're powerless and we can't use our minds to, to control that. And I remember when the food cravings were so great that I really literally thought I was going to die. I remember being hungry after an entire meal because the food cravings were never satisfied. And when I came into program, my first few years were abstinent to the best of my ability and based on what I understood at the time, but I didn't understand total abstinence and I wasn't really neutral in the food. I lost a lot of weight and I thought I was abstinent, but I didn't have any idea that, that I could be neutral on food. And that didn't happen until I actually listened to the famous Ruth's talk from, from 2014 on total abstinence. And that's what got me to um, understanding that. And before that, I was making that supreme sacrifice every day, which was giving up and giving into the craving and killing myself one day at a time. I didn't have any fight in me because the physical craving was always in charge. And that's when I finally hit my bottom 18 months ago. I had enough of it. And finally, humility came in and I realized I needed help. And with total absence came food neutrality. And then it was that I first started experiencing back in May of 2016 freedom from this disease. Before that time, 
I didn't fully believe that people had neutrality. Just, I just didn't believe that people could totally be untriggered by the food. And I was doing really great. I was in program. I was working it. I was sponsoring. I was, I was thinking that I was doing the whole deal, but I didn't know that neutrality was totally possible until it happened. And what I know today is that total abstinence is the path to eliminating the food cravings and being able to gain food neutrality and then being able to fully work the steps and working the steps is the path to the freedom. It's to the path. It's, it's the path to spiritual transformation and psychic change. And it's real and it's possible. And I didn't believe it, but being on the other side of it is so much better than anything I can shove in my mouth. Thanks. I pass. Thank you, Marie J. Um, and now I'll take a list of names of people that would like to share. This is Larry Kay. Rita Kay. Paula D. Michelle Kay. Lauren N. Okay. Okay, hang on. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell you who I have. I have Nessa. I have Nessa R, Tina, you have to give me your last initial, Matt M, Larry K, I think Rita, Paula D, Michelle, and Lauren, and you'll have to give me your last initials, but that looks like a good list. If everyone, unless you're Nessa, if you'll press star one to mute. Hello? Nessa, you're, yeah, Nessa. Can you hear me now? Okay, great. I can. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, this is uh, Nessa R. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, I mean, this paragraph obviously emphasizes the um, Dr. Sokor's discovery of the um, theology of the body. But I want to focus on something else. It says here that they have, for example, worked uh, a period of months on some problem or business deal. Uh, and it seems here that they are sober. And it says then, then they took a drink or so prior to the date. Why? Why Why did they take a drink? They're sober. Why do they take a drink? That was my experience too. Like I went on so many diets and I lost weight, you know, and I, I guess in a, a kind of um, primitive way, I abstained from foods that were harming me. But then as soon as I got to where I wanted to be weight-wise, again, my mind started working. And this is what they're talking about here. All of a sudden, these men become convinced that, you know, one drink or so is not going to make a difference, is not going to harm them. And this is what happened to me too, you know. I thought that once I weighed 105 pounds, that would give me license to eat um, with impunity. And of course, you know, um, we know that that's not the case, otherwise I wouldn't be here. You know, as soon as I got to go away, my mind started working over time to tell me, oh, now you know the answer. Now you know that if you, I don't know, binge and purge, or if you do this or that or the other, then you can get the weight off. So go ahead and eat. You know, go ahead and eat. Or, or things like this time, it won't harm you. Or just a little bit won't matter. And it is that mental obsession that always drove me back to the food. And then, of course, as it says a little bit later, once the food is in my body, 
you know, I'm biologically mandated to binge. You know, I, I have no no way of preventing the allergy from from flaring up. But the key question here is, if if I am thin, if I am abstinent, why am I going back to hurt myself? And that is the key question because, you know, it is my mental obsession that is the biggest aspect of my disease. I can arrest the allergy by abstaining 100% from the foods that trigger me. But what I need to really treat here is my mental obsession. And this is what the steps do. When the steps are working, are worked in abstinence and entire abstinence, you know, that mental obsession is arrested as well. But only as long as I continue working those steps. You know, and if I keep working those steps, then I don't even think about the food. Food is just food, something I eat at breakfast, lunch, and dinner you know, in, in very measured proportions uh, and nothing more, something to fuel my body, not something that, that makes me happy when, thank you, that makes me happy when I'm sad or that it helps me cope with my problems. It is just food, you know, and thank God for this program, thank God for entire abstinence and the steps, and I pass. Thank you, Nessa R., and I think it's Tina S., followed by Matt M., yeah. <clears throat> yes, thanks so much for your service. Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Eater, anorexic in Florida. Well, some, some great stuff in, in this reading, you know. And, you know, I too was one of those that um, early on in my addiction, you know, I knew somehow I, I put two and two together and came up with four that once I started eating, I was not going to stop. So my solution was I had to make sure that everything I had planned for the day, all the priorities in the day were done before I picked up a bite, you know, that, so that was my solution in my disease because, you know, I had proven to myself over and over once I started, I could not stop. And so it's my job, you know, I worked in, um, in, in a corporation where we were right next to a convenience store. So I had to make myself not go to that store. And then, you know, of course, the obsessions of mine was, do I go, don't I go, do I go, don't I go? And once I gave in and went to that store and whatever I bought, I had to eat it all. And then I couldn't perform in my job. You know, there was no way. All I could concentrate on where the next bite was coming from or that I was m mostly just too sick to go on, you know, too sick to, to, to do my work. You know, and then I like that it talks about, you know, I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control because, you know, my mental solution of I can't, you know, I will not start till after all my stuff is done, you know, would, would get, I would give in to that, that, oh, well, this time it's going to be different. And I love that it's talked about that the solution for my physical craving is entire abstinence and the solution for the mental obsession is the 12 steps of over Alcoholics Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous, to take care of that, this, you know, because it tells me that my problem centers in my mind, you know, and that, you know, I totally, I totally relate to all this stuff that they talk about in the, in the big book, or I would not be here, you know, if that were not my life, I would not come here for a solution that is given here, and, you know, today I'm so grateful that I have the opportunity one day at a time, you know, to not participate in the disease, where I, once I put that alcoholic food in my body that it sets off that phenomenon of craving. So I'm grateful to be here and to be among those that are living in the solution one day at a time. Thanks, and I'll pass. Thank you, Tina S. And Matt M., you're up, followed by Larry K. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M. with a possible reader. I do not hold with those that believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. 
I really don't have any mental control over this disease. If I did, I would never have. I would never go and order out or call out for Chinese or Italian or any other stuff because I don't need that food in my system. I binge my brain down until I finish every single morsel of food. So I definitely don't have mental control over this. The physical allergy takes over, and then I'm on to the races. I have to finish everything on my plate. Um, the, the phenomenon of craving becomes paramount to all else, everything else in my life. I don't want to go to the program. I just want to stay home and binge all day. I don't want to go looking at the jobs. I just want to sit and eat all day watching TV. You know, I, I was eating for um, overcoming craving beyond my mental control. It's absolutely true. And there's some days where I thought I was suicidal. I wanted to get ultimate sacrifice rather than continue to fight because I was so tired of having this disease. It's a disease of more. It's a disease of isolation. I hated it. I hated myself for having it. I didn't ask to have this. You know what? I didn't want it. I didn't want to be around anymore if I had the choice to have this disease. But I'm grateful just for today. I can I can make the choice to um, give into it or not give into it. I'm, not, I'm just for today. I'm not giving into it. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Matt M. And Larry K., followed by Rita. Good, good morning. Good morning. This is Larry K. Recovered um, this morning. You know, the, the doctor's opinion is the foundation for the entire program of action. So as we're studying the true nature of the problem, you know, I needed to ask myself an important question. Am I building a foundation of recovery on a canvas of truth, or am I building it upon a canvas of falsehood? Because I'm reminded that, it, you know, at, 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 at the genesis of this whole thing, this program and Overeaters Anonymous is designed to stop people from eating themselves to death. Do you want to go ahead and mute the line and then I'll come back in? That's not my piano. Yeah, someone's playing the piano. If everyone could start one. <laughs> I like this. Sound Sorry, the Larry. That's okay. Right. Practicing. I can use it. It's beautiful. I'm going to mute the line. Okay. Thank you. I'm back. That was pretty. Um, so the thing is, is, you know, regardless of, of my, you know, at the Genesis, this program of, of odor, of overeaters anonymous is designed to stop people from eating themselves to death. You know, what, what if regardless of my circumstances, good or bad, my out of control eating comes as a result of, of an obsession of my mind that I'm biologically mandated to seek ease and comfort from eating that is beyond my mental control. See, the main problem centers in my mind. So a diet's not going to work, an exercise program's not going to work, a surgical procedure's not going to work, not for me. So we eat for one reason and one reason alone, to overcome a craving beyond our mental control. And if you're one of us, but you don't entirely buy into this explanation of the problem, that's okay. But just know this, as long as you continue to engage in an internal debate like I did on the premise of the problem, I cannot bring the solution to light. And you know why? Because my best efforts are going to be diluted. They're going to be ineffective because on a subconscious level, I'm going to try to prove that I don't have this problem and I don't believe in this problem. Thus, I will continue to, you know, see my own solution. And it's so subtle. It's these mental gymnastics operate at the level below my conscious awareness. So I don't even realize that I'm sabotaging myself. See, my unconscious patterns will always guide my personal myths. 
and the information we're studying this morning, you know, more than anything, it's an invitation to change. Intellectual pride will keep me stuck in the quicksand, and I'll continue to thrash about. I had to put my pride down and accept what the problem for what it was and how it was laid out. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Um, and Rita, if you'll give me the first initial of your last name, you're up, followed by Paula D. Yes, this is Rita Kay from Kansas. Right. Uh, good morning. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. And, you know, I was just uh, riveted by, I'm always riveted by the wording here, but uh, these men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a phenomenon, a craving beyond their mental control. And I know this is what everybody is talking about, but when I think about how much um, I have worked on in the past to control this thing mentally and how much I even hear about it in, you know, in some of the rooms, you know, not to mention foods, don't do this and don't, you know, and clear it all out of your house. And, I mean, we do what we have to do, but the thing about it, this is beyond our mental control. Um, you know, I can drive from the freeway and see these huge billboards of very realistic-looking food and, and then start obsessing, but this is beyond this, you know, because once I put it in my mouth, that's when the craving starts. And for years I had such a misnomer about it, I, and I thought that it was only because I was thinking about it. But, you know, I am I am grateful for the steps and what working the steps has um has accomplished, you know, in my life as far as overcoming, as far as the obsession being lifted. And the thing is, is that that I have to remember is that that craving is not going to come back unless I stop and I make a decision to pull into that drive-thru, to then talk into the speaker, to make a decision of what I'm going to order, take the money out of my purse, pay for it, and then get it at the next window and then proceed to put it into my own mouth. That's when that, that's when that craving starts, you know, once I have made that decision. And so I just, this play up between the mental control and that decision to put it in our mouth, you know, it's so important to understand, you know, because for years I had it so wrong. And, you know, because I know that, I know how the word craving is used in our society, but here in the doctor's opinion, we're talking about once you put it in your mouth, that's when the phenomena of craving, that, that's when that starts. And, you know, um, I really appreciate the way Dr. Silkworth took the chance, you know, to kind of, uh, to be different from his other colleagues, because he started out with that paragraph saying, I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. And, you know, he was taking a chance by writing that one sentence, you know, but he was also speaking from experience. And that's what I have to share. Thanks for, um, thanks for letting me share with that iPad. Thank you, Rita Kay. And Paula D., you're up, followed by Michelle. Thank you. This would be Paula D. Thank you for your service again. It's it's worth repeating. Paula D. currently in New Hampshire. Recovered by and with the grace of God. You know, I'd like to camp out, but not really. You ever find a camping spot and you say, this is a lousy place to be. But then you see things that you never thought you would see. And this is it. I do not hold. I do not hold. 
meaning he had to let go. I held on to. I do not hold. Here I let go. Why am I repeating this? Because it needed repeating with me. It's a problem of mental control. You know the willpower. It's the willpower. Oh, wait, wait. No. It's the won't power. No. Come here. Of mental control. How is it that it says not even on a bad day? On a bad day, you've got to understand it. But even a good day. Even a good day? They had a business deal and it was successful. I mean, how much better? They took a drink. The phenomenon of craving, and it'll chase you down, is paramount to all other interests. Oh, no, the child has to be taken care of. Not first. What about the elderly mom? What about your own physical health? They weren't drinking to escape. Not that I haven't. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. When you read this, somehow something changed in me once I realized in my own life, I saw it over and over again. And it goes on, and I'm just going to leave it there because it will go on as it really penetrates, which caused men to make the supreme sacrifice. Let's go with sacrifice. Giving up one thing for another, that's a sacrifice. Rather than continue to fight, give up life, give up time spent with. So the time that I was given, thank you. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula D. And Michelle, if you'll give me the first initial of your last name, you're up, followed by Lauren N. Did I hear that correctly, Michelle? Press star one. Do you hear okay, me? Lauren. Oh, I you hear, hear you now, now, Michelle. Okay, I do. All right. You're sorry. It's the Michelle first initial. Okay, last, go ahead, Michelle. Last initial is K. Okay, Michelle K. in Northern New Jersey, compulsive overeater, and I have not shared on the line in a couple of years actually, but always listening and really compelled today. These paragraphs have recently struck me in such a deep way. Um, I was given the gift, you know, from my higher power in reading these paragraphs recently with a new sponsee. And all of a sudden, I was just struck with a relatable memory that literally put me on the pages. There I was at the age of 21, had just finished noticed the word finished, a commercial diet, and was strutting my stuff, got engaged, was about to get married, when I realized that since I had lost tons of weight on this fantastic diet that I spent thousands of dollars on, I could now have a cookie. 65 pounds later, I waddled down the aisle. It didn't matter that I had spent months eating ridiculously commercialized, disgusting, tasteless food 
to strip the weight off. It didn't matter that wherever I went, I was so mentally focused on that diet. Then I had that cookie. It didn't even hit me a few years back when I made my red light list and I put the cookie on the list, but that memory was so vague. But this time, this time when I read these pages, I got that memory full force. And why? Because I'm entirely abstinent. And it was so clear. And I'm connected. And my higher power gave me that gift of seeing. Seeing that. That torture. That freaking cookie. And then I spent the next 25 years. Up and down, up and down, up and down. Craziness. It's, it's, it was just beyond me. And I just wanted to share today because I really, really feel blessed that I was given that memory so clearly and so relatably to these chapters. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle Kay. And Lauren Ann, you're up. Good morning. Can you hear me? I can. Go ahead. Uh, Thank you very much. It's Lauren N., Compulsive Overeater, Sugar Addict. Recovered for today. Yay. I am so grateful to have been on this line for the past year and a half, almost two, well, year and three quarters, um, listening to you all and being aware of all these these things that I live in denial about. I all of a sudden got this overwhelming emotion where I realized that I don't like feeling things. And I think that that's what this part, this sentence where they talk about where men have, you know, worked on a program, and I'm paraphrasing, but worked on a program for a long time and then then two or three days before pick up. It's like the the obsession takes over and I'm out of, I'm out of options when that happens. But thank God today I know that I have options. I can pick up the phone. I can hold, I can roll into my God. I can hold on to my God. I can hold on to you all. I can do my 10th and 11th steps. I can be grateful. I can pick up the phone, and be of service to other fellows. And I get through that emotion. And I, it's only when I try and not have emotions, when I think I might be Superman and realize that I'm not, that I have problems. And I pick up food because food is not the answer for me. Food is absolutely not the answer for me. So thank you all for being here every day and reminding me that I am just another bozo on the bus. And I need to hold on real tight, sometimes tighter than others, and get that I am just 
live in this program one day at a time. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren Ann. Um, before I take another list of names, I just want to remind everybody what we're reading uh, in the big book today. Beginning on page XXIX, we're on the fourth paragraph, beginning with, I do not hold with those who believe. Reading through two paragraphs, ending with, sacrifice rather than continue to fight. And the floor is open for some more shares. Lisa B. Amy G. Melissa C. Amy G. Leah M. Okay. Let me me tell you what I... Leah M. Okay. Hang on. (laughs) Okay. I have have five names, and um, I'll read them, and then I might be able to take a couple of more. Um, I have Lisa B., Amy G., Melissa C., Monica T., and Leah M. Um, Let's go with those five, and then hopefully we'll have time for more. Lisa B., please get us started. (coughs) And everybody else, if you're not Lisa B., if you'll please uh, mute star one. I thought I heard Lisa B. Lisa, I can't hear you. Oh, there you are. I got stuck in the muting hallway. This is Lisa B. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina, and thank you for your service. So the line that jumps out for me is where it talks about which, which caused men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. So I kind of have a little bit of a different take on this. And again, you know, I continue to learn new things every time I read this book with you guys. That's why I'm so grateful for this intensive study. But the way I identify in with this reading is I made the supreme sacrifice rather than continuing to fight by settling for mediocrity, just a middle-of-the-road solution, an unexceptional state of being recovered. I did not believe that I could get recovered. I didn't think it was possible. I never really studied this book as we intensely do on this line. And, you know, I learned in reading this book that, that remarkable things will follow when I sincerely take such a position, the way this book is teaching me to take position. And it's telling me that if I persist, remarkable things will happen. So when I read the doctor's opinion, it's teaching me that I must have entire abstinence. And then I need to dig into these steps and experience the steps, not just read them, but truly experience them. And if a remarkable Splendid recovery has not happened for me. If it's not a deep and effective um, awakening or spiritual experience, it's, it's not going, it's just not going to do it because I'm an addict and I eat for an effect and I need to get an effect from these steps. So I settled, you know, for many years I settled for abstinence only, maybe dabbling in steps one, two, and three, never completing my amends, never even going near what a, a true 10 step was or an 11th step, or 12th step. I just dabbled, dabbled. And just by the grace of my higher power, I didn't take the supreme sacrifice to me, which I interpret to be suicide or homicide, you know. Um, And I'm so glad that when I came to A Vision for You and I learned that a remarkable, effective, um, recovered state can happen for me, but I, I need to to really dig, dig into these steps, starting with entire abstinence. And if I'm abstinent and have gone through the steps and that's not my experience, I need to go back and relook because it's meant to be a remarkable, recovered, and effective state. 
So not every day, you know, it's not every day, rainbows. But um, when you experience it, you'll know what I mean. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Lisa B. And Amy G., you're up, followed by Melissa C. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for your service. And thank you, everyone, for an awesome meeting. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. You know, we talk a lot, and in this doc off about the twofold nature of our disease, of my disease, the physical allergy and the mental obsession, and how much the mental obsession is the greater aspect of the disease. Because if I know I have an allergy, an abnormal reaction to putting certain foods into my body, why is it that I keep going there? And we drill down on that. But for me, it's also critically, critically important to understand the physical allergy. And why is it I have this abnormal reaction? And what is that abnormal reaction? It's what we're talking about today, the phenomenon of craving. It's not about breaking out in high hives. I mean, I used to hear that allergy, allergy issue, and I didn't understand what it meant. But if you look it up in the dictionary, it is an abnormal reaction. And for me, that abnormal reaction is when I put my what I call alcoholic substances, food, food ingredients into my body, I have an abnormal reaction. And that abnormal reaction is a phenomenon of craving, craving that I can't stop. I can't stop putting those substances into my body. It doesn't matter how much willpower I have. And for me, that was critically important to understand that my body, my chemical makeup was what separates me from a normal eater to a compulsive overeater. I have this allergy. Now, I don't know if I abused, abused my alcoholic substances and food ingredients to the point of creating that allergy or if I was born with it. To me, it doesn't matter. I've got it. And like everyone else is saying so succinctly, when I put that stuff into my body, I can't stop. I mean, my family's motto was all it takes is a little willpower. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I didn't understand that this was something beyond what my mind could control once I put it into my body. And what was also really, really important for me to understand is that that doesn't change. You know, we talk about once you become a pickle, you can't go back to being a cucumber. For me physically, it doesn't matter how long I've been abstinent. It doesn't matter if I put that into my body. That body, my body chemical makeup is not going to change. And that phenomenon of craving is going to happen. And that is why I work this program by the grace of God and these 12 steps, like my life depends upon it, because I need to stay spiritually fit. Because through the 12 steps and by the grace of my higher power, my thinking can change and my reactions can change. I don't have to have the insanity around the food that creates this type of thinking that says, and delude myself into thinking that the best idea I had all day is to stick the food into my, stick those alcoholic foods into my system. That can change. My body doesn't. And it's the 12 steps that stands in the middle there. It's the higher power from working these steps that stands in the middle for me. Because my body, as a compulsive overeater, once a compulsive overeater, I am always a compulsive overeater. And thank God I understand that now through the grace of God and what is so simply written on these pages of this big book, particularly in this chapter. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Amy G. And Melissa C., you're up, followed by Monica T. Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. Thank you for your service. Um, I, you know, what jumps out at me is paramount and supreme sacrifice. And I think... Um, this is what separates me from the average temperate eater 
or even the heavy eater, that um, heavy eaters and temperate eaters um, food and they're craving. You know, like that, that Melissa, we are you're in and out. You, we lost you, Melissa C. Okay. Okay, sorry. You want to try again? Call back. Um, Monica T. You're up, followed by Leah M. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. So here we are in the doctor's opinion. Dr. Silkworth is giving us really important information here. So he's talking about, um, I set my timer here. He's talking about <clears throat> that he doesn't believe that this is just a mental issue that we're not, that you know, it's a matter of us being weak-willed, lazy, sinners, or whatever, that, that this is a disease. Alcoholism is a disease. Compulsive overeating is a disease. It has a physical component, which is like allergy, and there's a mental component. And I think what he's really striking home here to us is the physical component, the allergy part of my disease. Now, he says, here's these guys. They're sober. Things are going well. You know, they got a business deal coming up. Everything's wonderful. And he doesn't tell us why they pick up. But that's where the mental obsession is coming in. For some reason or other, they do pick up. But he wants to focus on what happens after you pick up here. And so he says, you know, they took a drink. And the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount, most important to all other interests, so that the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. What he's saying here is, once I have put in an allergic food into my body and I have set off the allergy, this abnormal reaction that I have, which is, it makes me crave more. That this is purely, purely physical at this point. There's nothing emotional about this. There's nothing intellectual about this or mental about this. This is a purely physical condition that happens to me. And I am forced to eat because of this physical craving for more and more and more. And they've proven it with alcoholics that they break down alcohol differently and they produce acetone, which causes the craving. Now, we don't know for sure what happens with us, but we do the same type of thing in some way, I believe. And it causes this craving. And at that point, I am eating because I physically have to. You know, that's why it explains after the fourth cookie, hey, I want the whole rest of the sleeve. After the sleeve, I want the rest, the other sleeve. After that, I want everything else that's nailed down. I am physically being mandated to eat here. This is not my mental obsession going on here. The mental obsession got me into the food again. And then again, so this is so important that Monica knows and has to put down 100% her allergic foods because this is what happens every single time and it will happen until the day I die because I'm not cured of this allergy. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica T. And Leah M., your turn. Thank you very much. 
you know, when I read this paragraph, um, it reminds me um, <laughs> that a compulsive overeater of my type, a real compulsive overeater, screwed, <laughs> cornered, uh, you know, I knew I was a compulsive overeater since I was a kid. I didn't know the language, but <laughs> I knew that uh, there was something different about me than my peers. But I didn't understand the grave nature of my illness. I didn't understand the depths to which this disease was going to grab me by the roots of my hair um, and drag me around uh you know, for a couple of decades. I didn't understand its progression. I didn't understand the exact twofold nature of my problem. Therefore, I didn't realize uh, the power um, of the allergy of the body, the seriousness of that aspect of my disease, nor did I realize the uh, seriousness of the greater aspect of my disease and the urgency and necessity for a spiritual experience. Um, that I was going to find uh, <laughs> through the 12 steps, you know, leading me to that greater power that I so desperately needed. I had to get an education, and I had to get an education by someone in whom the problem had been solved who understood um, as a compulsive overeater. You know, when an alcoholic crawls his way into an AA room, um, it's pretty clear that alcoholic is allergic to alcohol. Um, but for someone like me, a compulsive overeater, it is more complicated. I had to identify with the help of someone else the particular foods, the ingredients, the eating habits, which were creating those cravings. And I had to believe that I had those cravings. I had to understand, and I could understand by my, my long uh, eating history, even though I was young, uh, you know, at the start of this recovery process, that my I was biologically mandated my, mandated. my very cells demanded to be satisfied beyond my ability to control it. That I was a real compulsive overeater without power, without choice, without control. I had to get that because without entire abstinence, I was not going to have the clarity of mind for this spiritual journey called the 12 steps that I needed to embark upon because I have a greater aspect of my disease and it's listed right here. They took a drink a day or so prior to the date. They made a decision. <laughs> I had an utter inability to leave it alone no matter how great the necessity or the wish. Bill W. was in this situation. He, he had a great business opportunity, uh, but he took a drink. He took a drink, and I did that thousands of times. I had the necessity. I had the wish for recovery. I had medical consequences. I had mental torture. I had emotional turmoil. I was experiencing isolation, deep depression, and suicidal thinking, just wrapping up. <laughs> I was in a trap that I could not spring until you guys taught me <laughs> there, there was a solution. There was a way out, and with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah M. Um, I think we have time for definitely one, possibly two more people to share. Nancy. Harlan G. Nancy I H. heard Harlan G. and one, I'm sorry, who was here? Nancy H. Okay, I don't, I'm not sure, but what I heard was Harlan G. and Nancy H. So you each have about two and a half minutes. Harlan G. All right, I'll go quick. I'm Harlan G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. What is Dr. Silkworth telling me here? He's not really talking to me much about the physical allergy, although he uses the word craving, 
And when we use the word craving here and now, we are talking about the physical allergy. What he is talking about here is the buildup of human emotion. He is talking about the fact that we as human beings are not going to be able to control this because as human beings, we are going to be prey to happiness, fear, anger, resentment, jealousy, greed. We're going to be prey to these human emotions. And no matter how much we do try to immune ourselves from these emotions, they are there. And as human beings, we will not be able to overcome this illness because as these emotions rise, we will take a drink a day or so prior to the date and the phenomenon of craving at once will become paramount to all other interests so that the important appointment was not met. Chapter 3 of this book, more about alcoholism, Jim, the man of 30, Fred, the jaywalker, these are not stories about people that were drunk and couldn't get sober. These were, pe these were stories about people who were sober and had emotions build up within them and they took a drink to lower the, the level of those emotions. They couldn't stand it anymore. The pain of not eating for me is too much to bear and I will make the supreme sacrifice. I will eat myself to death or worse. We're all going to die, but never having lived because of the prison of the food is the worst. The saddest words of tongue or pen are these few words. It might have been. And only a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps will emancipate me from that hell. And I have not eaten compulsively in over 18 and a half years, and I have done so happily. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Harlan. And Nancy H., you've got about two minutes. Okay, good morning. This is Nancy H., a grateful, compulsive, recovered overreader. <laughs> I'm so grateful to hear this once again. And this time I know because I've had the firsthand experience. Um, 41 days ago, I was eating my brains out, and I didn't care. And I thought I knew quite clearly that I had to do 10, 11, and 12 and live in it in order to keep the spiritual experience and in order to keep the freedom from the mental obsession. What I didn't know, because I hadn't done it for a, lot, a long period of time, is that the sugar and the flour that I take out of my body when I'm abstinent, um, that once I took those, the hell that I was going to be in. And what happened is I took the first bite, and I was just amazed because it's been so long at what the, the sugar did to me. And I had no choice after that. It was a matter of, <clears throat> excuse me, it was a matter of just eating my brains out. And I went to the store and I would flirt with the pastry and I couldn't stop no matter what. And I, I, will, I hope, God willing, that I will remember the hell I've been through. Excuse my language, I'm sorry. But um, the horror that I've been through with the food this time because I never could believe that the sugar could make me so crazy and make me so vulnerable so I am newly recovered again, and I do hope that I, besides remembering that I have to live in 10, 11, and 12, I want to remember that I only can keep that mental obsession away by being in fit spiritual condition one day at a time, and that's the only reprieve I get. I get it daily. And with that, I'll pass. 
Thank you, Nancy H., and thank you to everyone who shared today. Thank you to Team Tuesday, Tenzin P., Susan M., Marie J., Leslie W., Monica T., Russ M., and Gina R. And we will, oh, sorry, today's, today's share ID, Monday, December 5th, 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting, is 10,756. That's 10756. And we'll now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Leslie W. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Leslie, star one. (laughs) Sorry about that. Okay, thanks, Leslie. Recovered in Tennessee. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of the past. Give freely what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.